0: The following is a message by Professor Josh Van E. of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let's uh, pray for God's uh, guidance as uh, as we begin to look at his word, dear heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you will bless our uh, study our look at this, uh, this your word this morning as we read of, of paul 's urgent cry to the galatians and uh, and as we apply it uh, also to our own lives. Uh, we pray that uh, you will bless um, uh, this uh, as we speak through it and, uh, and through your spirit, that uh, you will convict us and uh, that you will bring about um, what it calls us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text this morning is Galatians chapter 4, verses 21, and I'll read through 5.1. So Galatians chapter 4, starting with verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise." For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear! Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor! For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh... Persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In our passage, Paul is continuing this impassioned plea with the Galatians. This impassioned plea for them to see the error that they are in as they are trying to take on the Mosaic law as necessary for salvation. As a necessary a step for them to become part of God's family, to become Christians. And he does it by speaking allegorically. What does that mean? Verse 24 there begins, uh, we could translate, uh, these things are allegorized, or these things are spoken allegorically. There's much debate on that, much discussion, much written, and uh, I don't intend to solve all of that in our brief time, otherwise we couldn't look at anything else. But it is of interest for us, very much, because here at Westminster we, we teach and we believe that the apostles very much set a pattern for us in our approach to Scripture, a pattern that we can follow, a pattern that we should follow, uh, so how can we follow Paul here in his use of scripture and uh, and i 'll introduce a couple of points on that um, without trying to solve all of the elements that are there and uh, And also I'll speak as one who is not an expert in these things. And so take it with that way. But uh, one thing I think that's important is verse 24 is where this statement is. And it's referring to what Paul does in the verses following 24. It's not referring back to his recitation of the account in twenty-one. Through twenty-three, He's not saying that what we have written back in the book of Genesis is an allegory. Instead, what I'm doing with this is allegorizo. And, uh, and the second point is it's important that he marks it. He wants them to know that he's doing something distinct here. Uh, similarly, back in chapter 3... Verse 15, before he goes into an example, what does he say? He says, to give a human example's brothers, I give this. And so we have something similarly marked here. This isn't his normal way of using Scripture. There's some specific form that he's giving it here. And and based on that, I would would argue um, that we should distinguish what he's doing here from what we call in our, in our program typology. This normal approach that, uh, that the apostles show us in the approach to the Old Testament. That here he's doing something different from that. Uh, though there is typology involved in that, and that's why some people call this a mixed Um, A mixed bag here of allegory and typology. But I'd argue he's not using typology in calling these two women two covenants. He's not saying that the two women were formed in covenant and in redemptive history to point forward to this situation in his day. But instead, he is arguing by way of analogy that he finds a principle at work back there that he can now apply to the Galatians. And so it's more he's applying the truths he finds back there to them in a similar way as as Professor Telfer last week said we can apply Paul's warning to the Galatians to those who are tempted by Roman Catholicism. There's a certain parallel analogy between the two. And, uh, and maybe the last point on it is, is uh, um, it seems that the use of allegory, as Paul is using it here, part of what's important for it is it had a rhetorical shock value. It really used something in a way that the audience wasn't expecting them, uh, the speaker, to use it. And uh, and that's really how he starts out here, right? He says, you want to take on the law? Well, let's read the law. And so he reads, right, the law can refer in general to the books, the five books of Moses. And so he gives this quote from the law. And he applies it to their situation, saying, you want to take on the law to be the most Jewish, to be the most tied to Abraham? Well, when we read it and we apply this, we find out that actually you are the least Jewish by doing that. You are the least tied with Abraham. And so that's the point that he's getting across. Uh, And so if we get into the text more specifically here, what do we find? Um, As I mentioned, 21 through 23, he briefly recounts the birth of uh, uh, Ishmael and uh, and Isaac. And then he, in 24, starts this allegory proper, these two women are two covenants. And the one is from Mount Sinai, And what does it give birth to? Slavery. And uh, slavery in the sense of what was required under the Mosaic, a lot of things to do. Keep the seasons, keep the food laws, keep everything like that. You must serve all of these things. And he says it, it corresponds to the present day Jerusalem present-day Jerusalem, Uh, because she, Jerusalem, present-day Jerusalem, is a slave along with her children. And the analogy here, I would argue, that he's making is that the Judaizers, what were they trying to do? They were trying to make the Gentiles Christians according to the flesh, How do you make somebody come into the covenant community based on the Mosaic? Well, they have to take on the whole law. That's how they join the community. They have to do it according to the flesh. They have to take on circumcision. They have to keep all of the feasts and festivals and everything like that. And so that is what these Judaizers want the Gentile Christians in Galatia to do. But the shock value here is great because Paul has now said Sinai, Sinai that all of the Jews as they heard it, what does it associate with? It associates with freedom, right? It's exodus out of Egypt, it's it's what comes right after that great deliverance of God. He's now tying it with slavery, the very thing they escaped in Egypt, and so it has that shock value, and and right, and they would say, well, you know, this is this was the law, this was the way you become a real Jew, and he's now saying, instead, this is the way that you are like Ishmael, this is the way that you are a son and daughter of Hagar, the one who in in uh, in the Pentateuch was when Sarah and Abraham were doubting God's promises, when they still didn't have any children, and so they wanted to figure out a normal way by which to have children. And so Hagar is given to Abraham by Sarah and Ishmael's born. But that's not the way God operates. And so that's what Paul continues on, well, what's the other side? Well, it's heavenly Jerusalem, not present Jerusalem. Heavenly Jerusalem is free. She is our mother. And why is that? This is where he quotes from Isaiah, Isaiah 54 1. Why is it that heavenly Jerusalem is free? Why is it that we're her children? It's because of the same principle. In this text, Isaiah is looking forward to the restoration of Israel. And as he looks forward, he sees that it's going to be this shocking thing. It's not going to happen by normal means. It will be as if a barren woman suddenly has all of these children. This barren woman who doesn't even have a husband it will be by this promise. And it's debatable whether Isaiah there had uh, Sarah in mind, um, because it's a principle we find in various other contexts too, especially with Hannah, uh, who is herself the barren one and then her rival who has all the children. Uh, and And so Paul, very much here, this interpretation is is dependent upon his typology in that he sees, right, the Jerusalem talked about in Isaiah isn't the physical Jerusalem, it's the Jerusalem above. And the children there aren't restored ethnic Jews, but they are all who accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, And so he has typology in there, but that's not at the level of the two women being the two covenants. But it undergirds that. And, uh, and so he's setting out for these, these uh, uh, Galatians, right? He puts them in there amongst this you, right? You are children of this free one. They need to see this contrast, and, and this contrast, we could say, it, it works for the Old and the New Covenant in, uh, in, uh, in general, in a way. Paul's very clear that he sees this Old Covenant, this mosaic, as something added on to the promise in, in Galatians 3. It's this guardian which they're under. Um, but more specifically, he really is here focusing on those Judaizers Versus uh, the gospel he preaches. That after the coming of Christ to cling to the Mosaic, to claim that that is needed is, is to claim that Jesus didn't do it all. It's to cling to what was preparatory once the final has come. It's to Try to do it the natural way once you've seen that there is a way of promise. And the two cannot go together. And that's really the application he then gives in verse 29 and following. That there is this struggle between the two right now. And the ones of the free woman, they're currently the ones under persecution. That doesn't show. He wants the Galatians to know that doesn't mean that they're not, it's not the right way. It's not the true way. They're currently under this persecution. But what was the truth seen back then, and how is it applied to them? Right? We get this scripture quotation in verse 30. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. It's not that there can now be two ways, a natural way to come, and this way of promise. There is now only one way to come. There is only the way of promise, just as Ishmael had no part in the inheritance, and he was cast out. Maybe those who are like Ishmael now are persecuting, but... Paul ominously alludes to their fate. They do not have an inheritance if they are clinging to the Mosaic now that what the Mosaic pointed forward to had come, now that Christ had come. And, and so that's why at the end he can conclude with so much. He, he, uh, right, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. the yoke of the law, that was seen as this good thing by the Judaizers, something that uh, was an honorable thing to take upon, and Paul, in this spin, has now made it this yoke of slavery. If you want to go back under that yoke, you are turning your back on Christ and the way he has provided. You are acting as... Abraham and Sarah did as they tried to do it in their own way back in uh, Genesis, and not according to God's promise. Um, You are the ones who are born from heavenly Jerusalem according to this promise. And so we can see in here Paul's very clear portrayal of the gospel that it is all of promise and all of God. That it must be all of promise. If we try to add anything to it, our part and his part, it is no longer the gospel. There are not two ways to get there. There is only one way. And it can include warnings against us who like laws. We so much like laws. In many ways, it's so much easier than freedom. Freedom, we have to make choices. Freedom, we have to decide what's wise, what's good, how to use our talents, our time. Just tell me what I have to do. And there's various dangers that can pull us. Roman Catholicism, as it was mentioned. There's many that have a renewed interest in Judaism. Uh, And there are so many legalistic forms of Christianity. They may talk about good things to do, but the minute that it says you have to do that in order to be a Christian, you have to. We need to add this. You must attend the prayer service. Prayer is great. But we must not make Christianity into a list of what we have to do on our part. We have been set free. We don't have the seasons to keep, the the festivals, the food laws, all that sort of stuff that was seen with the mosaic. But now we use that freedom for God's glory, for the service of his church, for the service of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We do rejoice in the freedom that you have given to us. And we ask for your spirit to work as you've promised, so that we use it for your glory. May we not be tempted to add anything to the work of Christ, but know that his work is sufficient. And thereby we run our race, we run our race out of gratitude and thankfulness for what Christ has done. And bless us as we go out in the rest of this week and in the rest of uh, this semester. Run this race to your glory and for the benefit of your church. In Jesus' name, amen.